In the 1920s, a new housing development was underway in the hills just above the Hollywood district of Los Angeles. Touted as a superb environment without the excessive cost on the Hollywood side of the hills by real estate developer H.J. Whitley, a man considered to be the father of Hollywood. He and his wife named the town while on their honeymoon in 1886. And what did he want to name his latest real estate development project? Hollywood Land. And how was he going to get the word out about it? A sign, of course. A big sign. The Crescent Sign Company was commissioned to design and build it. They were tasked with putting together the 13 letters, each one measuring 30 feet or 9.1 meters wide and 50 feet or 15.2 meters high to be erected on the hillside facing south. The owner of the sign company, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Goff, designed the sign. And not only was it going to include around 4,000 bulbs, the sign was going to flash in three parts, holly, wood, and land, and then the whole sign would light up all at once. And if that weren't enough, below the sign there would also be searchlights to bring more attention to it. The poles that were going to go into the ground to support the sign were hauled up the hillside by mules. The total cost of the Hollywood Land sign was $21,000, which would be a little more than $300,000 today. The sign was officially dedicated in 1923. And just nine years later, on September 16, 1932, a young stage actress, utilizing an access ladder, ascended to the top of the H of the sign and leapt 45 feet to her death. By the 1940s, stories of hauntings and sightings of a beautiful blonde woman began to emerge. Millicent Lillian Entwistle, more commonly known as Peg Entwistle, was born February 5, 1908, in Port Talbot, Wales, to parents Robert and Emily Entwistle. She was raised in West Kensington, London, and her father was a stage actor. It's been said that Peg's mother passed away when she was very young, but any record of this having actually been the case has never been uncovered. However, in the Entwistle family archives, there is a last will and testament signed by Peg's father, dated December 15, 1922, that stipulates the following. Millicent Lillian Entwistle is the daughter of my first wife, whom I divorced and the custody of my said daughter was awarded to me. I do not desire my daughter to be at any time in the custody or control of her said mother. So whatever happened between Robert and Emily, what led to the divorce is unknown. But I have read that there were possibly some issues of infidelity on the part of Emily. But that has not been substantiated either. Peg would eventually emigrate to the United States by way of Liverpool aboard the SS Philadelphia, and she and her father would settle in New York, where her father would also remarry. 
Because he was an actor, this was the logical place for him to be able to find work. There were some reports that they had been in the Cincinnati, Ohio area and in New York during the early part of 1913. But their presence in New York has been confirmed in the New York Times archives as Robert Entwistle is named in the cast of several Broadway plays in 1913. Sadly, in December of 1922, Peg's father was killed in a hit-and-run accident on Park Avenue and 72nd Street. Peg and her two younger half-brothers from her father's second marriage were taken in by their uncle, who had also come to New York to work as a manager for a Broadway actor, Walter Hamden. They would go on to relocate to Ohio, but because Peg's younger brother struggled with chronic illness, his doctor suggested that they move to a warmer climate. And because they were in the acting business, Los Angeles seemed the logical choice. And they settled on a small neighborhood street just in the shadows of the Hollywood land sign. Peg had big dreams of not only becoming a stage actress, but also she had her sights set on the silver screen as well. As a matter of fact, she began calling herself by her stage name of Peg after seeing the play Peg of My Heart. She would eventually return to New York to attend theater school. She then went to Boston, where she performed with a theater company. It was there, during her performance in Henrik Ibsen's The Wild Duck, that, just so happened to be sitting in the audience, a young Betty Davis. Three years later, Betty would perform the same exact role Peg had in The Wild Duck. For the remainder of Betty's career, she would always credit Peg Entwistle as having been her biggest inspiration for her and her career. Even decades later, Betty always talked about Peg. In 1925, while she was a theater student in Boston, Peg earned a walk-on role in the Broadway production of Hamlet, alongside actors who were already garnering national attention. In 1926, Peg was recruited by the New York Theater Guild, and this is where she would have her first credited Broadway performance in the production of The Man from Toronto, which ran for 28 performances. In all, Peg performed in 10 Broadway productions as a member of the Guild between 1926 and 1932. Her longest run was the 1927 Broadway hit Tommy, which ran for 232 performances. And this would be the play Peg Entwistle would be best known for. In April of 1927, Peg married fellow actor Robert Keith in New York City. Later that year, she would go on to perform in the play The Uninvited Guest, but it closed after only seven performances. But Peg's performance, again, was critically acclaimed the New York Times having written of her, Peg Entwistle gave a performance considerably better than the play warranted. And dreamers, it would be worth mentioning that there's often been this misconception about Peg, that the reasons why her life took such a tragic turn, that it had something to do with the fact that she was no good as an actress, 
which is resoundingly untrue. She just experienced misfortune. It was one thing after another, but it had nothing to do with her abilities and talent as an actress. As a matter of fact, she'd been consistently praised for her stage performances. So remember this fact as we go on in our story. Peg Entwistle was an outstanding actress. In between Broadway productions, she toured with the Theater Guild as well. She again was praised for her versatility as she played a different character just about every single week and continued to receive rave reviews. Peg, however, was struggling in her personal life, specifically in her marriage to Robert Keith. Their union was fraught with difficulties, and he was reportedly an alcoholic and was quite abusive to Peg. It was particularly distressing for her as she felt like she had met just the right person, as it was then, as it is now, quite common for actors to marry other actors, and she very much wanted that in her life. But then it turned out to not be the fairy tale that she thought it was going to be. And what's worse, she found out he was already married with a child. Things he failed to tell her. It was also during their brief marriage that Robert Keith wasn't really getting any good work. And they struggled. And she basically was carrying both of them. Not only that, she found herself having to bail her husband out of all of his troubles. Financial ones and legal ones as well. He had been jailed for things such as drunk driving and failing to pay alimony. And when it came to her contentions and her divorce filing, not only had Robert been abusive to her physically, he also left her mentally ill. And because of all of her husband's personal drama and negative press, it would cause the New York Theater Guild to not have Peg back for a second season. But after they divorced in 1929, he went on to remarry in 1930 to the woman he would stay married to for the rest of his life. And both he and his new wife enjoyed successful acting careers, the very thing that Peg wanted for herself with her husband. Peg did go on to have some prominent roles in some pretty successful theater productions across the United States, including The Mad Hopes, which starred Humphrey Bogart and Billy Burke. The play was lauded by audiences and critically acclaimed, earning it a place on Broadway. Shortly after that, though, Peg had a setback when she lost out the leading role in the Bill of Divorcement to Katherine Hepburn. She did garner the attention of another motion picture production company who cast Peg in the thriller 13 Women. But in the end, that did not work out as well as Peg had hoped either, as most of her parts in the supporting role were cut from the final production because she was portrayed as a lesbian in the movie, which was considered far too much for movies at that time. 
Early in 1932, Peg would make her final Broadway appearance in Alice Sit by the Fire, but the star of the production, Lorette Taylor, missed two evening performances because of her binge drinking, and refunds had to be given to the audience. The production was canceled, and everyone involved were let go with only one week's pay. At the height of the Great Depression, Peg was back living with her uncle and her aunt, back in the shadows of that Hollywood land sign. On September 16, 1932, she told her family that she was going to take a walk. Peg never came home. Two days later, on September 18th, an unidentified hiker going just below the sign discovered a woman's purse, a shoe, and a jacket. She opened the purse and found a suicide note inside, and upon further investigation, she glanced down the mountainside and saw Peg's body down below. She reported what she'd found to the police and placed the items she discovered on the steps of the police station. Two officers and a detective were dispatched to the scene, and they discovered the body down in the ravine. The contents of Peg's suicide note were published in the local papers. It read, I am afraid. I am a coward. I am sorry for everything. If I had done this a long time ago, it would have saved a lot of pain. Signed, P.E. Peg's uncle, having put two and two together, connecting her absence with the description of her in the papers and the initial signed on the note, contacted police and eventually he would be the one to identify Peg. He told him that she said that she was going to the drugstore and to visit some friends, but it seems that that never happened. She went to Mount Lee, the southern slope. She used an access ladder and climbed to the top of the H of the Hollywood Land sign and jumped. She was 24 years old. Why would Peg Entwinsel choose to end her life? Her uncle suggested to police that she was depressed and in his words, suffering an intense mental anguish. Despite all of the outstanding reviews of her work as a stage actress, her career never really seemed to have taken off in the ways that she'd hoped. Although, I don't really think that she'd given it a chance. If only she had waited it out, perhaps past the Great Depression, the tide would have surely turned, likely even sooner. It's also been said that she was truly devastated over the breakup of not only her marriage, but the seemingly blissful remarriage of her husband. From outward appearances, it seemed like he had the life with this new wife that Peg had wanted with him. It was a tough pill to swallow. And according to her uncle, Peg was fascinated with the Hollywood land sign and, according to some, she continues to be 
even in death. The Hollywood land sign was only meant to stand for 18 months, but obviously it stayed for much, much longer. With the land part eventually being taken down altogether. However, at the beginning of the 1940s, unnerving reports began circulating about hauntings, particularly around the age. People have claimed that they've seen a young woman dressed in clothing for an era past, wandering the Hollywood Hills. It was in the 1940s that the H seemingly inexplicably collapsed, lending to the belief that the woman haunting the hills, that this must have been the work of the woman who threw herself from the H, Peg Entwistle. Many who have encountered her have said that she's appeared and disappeared, and the smell of gardenias filled the air as she did. Gardenias were the scent of Peg's most favorite perfume. Sometimes it said, and if you believe, that when a life ends in sadness and in tragedy, visions of them appear, as they have manifested themselves as ghosts, intent on haunting the locations where their lives were once filled with contentment and happiness. So for Peg, her spirit is said to continue to wander the hills around the very sign that encompassed every single one of her hopes and aspirations, the very sign from which she leapt to her demise, apparently unable to see or unaware that her potential just had simply not been tapped. It was there, and the whole world saw it, except for her. So on those occasions when she appears before passers-by, joggers or hikers she is described as looking sad sometimes lost sometimes dazed and as soon as she's approached she vanishes one couple had reported that while walking their dog along the canyon trail near the Hollywood sign the dog began behaving in an odd manner hiding and cowering behind the couple whimpering when suddenly a woman from an era of the past appeared before them, standing on the trail. Her clothing from around the 1930s, they guessed. She looked confused or lost. And in the next moment, she was gone. A park ranger by the name of John Arbogast has reported to have seen Peg on a number of occasions. He said that she will most often appear during the night, especially when it's foggy in the hills. And along with her, she brings the smell of gardenias. A resident of Beechwood Canyon by the name of Devin Morgan has also reported that she has encountered the distinct scent of gardenias in the area on a regular basis. She said there was one afternoon in particular that she was hiking just up the trail, right under the Hollywood sign. And as she was approaching one of the switchbacks, she too encountered what she described as the figure of a woman a little way up the trail, describing the encounter as being very strange. The woman appeared bizarre, that she seemed otherworldly, as she did not seem to walk. 
she didn't seem to float either. She kind of just glided as she moved across the trail. But she appeared to be real, causing her to think that she wasn't a ghost, but something more tangible than that. But strange, nonetheless. This hiker attempted to approach the figure, but when she did, she vanished, leaving behind, once again, the scent of gardenias in her wake. In 1990, another young couple hiking the Griffith Park trails were also stopped in their tracks as they encountered a very dazed and seemingly disoriented blonde woman garbed in attire of the 1930s. But before they had the chance to investigate further, she, once again, vanished right before their eyes. The couple had reported that prior to the sighting, they had never heard of Peg Entwistle or her suicide in the hills above Hollywood. In 2013, a jogger was going through her usual route through Griffith Park trails one evening when she was suddenly overcome by a sneezing attack. She had to stop. She got this strange feeling, and then she smelled the distinct scent of gardenias. Then she got the chills. It was then she spotted a blonde woman, and to her, she looked as though she was floating, or walking or moving across the air. Terribly spooked, she switched directions and ran the other way. Most recently, Peg was the featured ghost on sci-fi channel show Paranormal Witness. Four friends, Tina, Alan, Brian, and Al, decided to go up to the Hollywood sign and touch it, despite the fact that this would be a trespassing violation. They hopped the fence and went up anyway. As they were making their way back down, Brian fell part of the way, but as he was attempting to make his way back up to the others, he spotted someone on the path, walking in his direction. And like many others before him, this someone was a woman, dressed in clothing from the 1930s. He said she had on heels and wore a veil over her face. She moved seemingly effortlessly up the hill, and she made no sounds as she did. And soon, she vanished into thin air. And he too reported that he was unaware of Peg's story. Peg Entwistle is often referred to as the Hollywood sign girl. Dreamers, I cannot emphasize enough how much talent people saw in Peg. She was an incredible and dynamic and versatile stage actress. She was one of those who made that pilgrimage to Hollywood in search of fame on the silver screen. And the spark was there. She, unfortunately, snuffed it out herself before it caught fire. She became this representation of the darker side of Hollywood. She desperately wanted to parlay her Broadway success into Hollywood success. Packing up everything she had, along with her family, and headed for Tinseltown. Literally, in the shadow of the hills where that sign stood. She had arrived and waited and waited.
waited and waited and that call never came. Filled with desperation and hopelessness, Peg trekked up that mountainside to that Hollywoodland sign that had once held so much promise, which had then become her personal failure, and she jumped. Legend has it that the day after her death, her family received a letter from the Beverly Hills Playhouse addressed to Peg. They opened it and found they'd offered her a leading role in a new production. A production about a woman who committed suicide. As I said earlier, the Hollywoodland sign was only designed to stand for a year and a half, tops. But it was never taken down. In the ensuing years, the sign sustained a great deal of damage and deteriorated extensively. In the 1940s, the official caretaker of the sign was actually the one who caused an accident that destroyed the H. He was driving while under the influence, and as he was approaching the top of Mount Lee, he lost control of his vehicle, and it went over the cliff, right into the letter H. He was not injured, but his 1924 Ford Model T and the original H were demolished. In 1949, the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce contracted the Parks and Recreations Department of the City of Los Angeles to repair and renovate the sign. And part of the deal was for them to remove the land part of it, so it would be a reflection of the city, not the real estate development. The Parks and Recreations Department wanted it to be stipulated that the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce be the ones responsible for the cost of illuminating its more than 4,000 bulbs, which they opted not to do. Thus, the Hollywood sign today is without flashing bulbs. The effort to restore the sign in 1949 was completed, but the sign wasn't built to last very long again, and soon the wood the letters were made out of began to deteriorate, and by the 1970s, the sign had become a dilapidated eyesore once again. In 1978, Playboy magazine founder Hugh Hefner spearheaded a public campaign to properly restore the landmark sign by replacing it with more permanent materials. A total of nine separate donors each ponied up $27,777.77, a total of $249,999.93 to replace the wooden letters with ones made of steel, supported by steel columns on a foundation made of concrete. The H was sponsored by Hugh Hefner, the O by Giovanni Mazza, an Italian movie producer, 1L by Les Kelly, the founder of the Kelly Blue Book, the second L by Gene Autry, the actor, the W by singer Andy Williams, 1O by Warner Brothers Records, the next O by singer Alice Cooper in memory of Groucho Marx, and the D by businessman 
Dennis Lickkey. The new letters were unveiled on the 75th anniversary of the incorporation of the city of Hollywood on November 11th, 1978. Thank you for listening, and until next time, sweet dreams. <laughs>